Hello my lovelies and welcome back to another episode of Primed for Crime. I am your host Liv and I'm very excited to have you here and hope you enjoy today's case. So today I'm going to be talking about the unsolved disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley, a 23 year old woman who boarded a Royal Caribbean cruise ship for a family holiday and one morning her dad noticed that she wasn't in her room and quickly reported her missing. And there is so much information on this case, from fraud to cover-ups. It's going to be a long one, so I hope you are comfy. But before we get into the case, I just want to state that everything I talk about today is just information I have found online, and I mean no disrespect to anybody involved or mentioned. Today's episode involves mention of sexual assault, suicide and sex trafficking, so if this is something that you're not comfortable listening to at the moment, then please feel free to click out of this podcast. So, let's begin. This is the unsolved disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. Amy Lynn Bradley was born on the 12th of May 1974 in Petersburg, Virginia, and she grew up in Chesterfield, Virginia with her parents, Ron and Ivor, and her younger brother, Brad, who was two years younger than her, and the two of them had such a close bond. Amy was just a lovely girl, and her parents said that she had the biggest and kindest heart, you know, always making sure that people weren't left out. Amy was also very athletic, and out of all the sports that she played, she played definitely more than one, she loved basketball the best, and in fact, she actually got a tattoo that she drew herself, and it's of, you know, the cartoon Tasmanian Devil, um, that one, and him with a spinning basketball, so it's pretty cool actually, and she got this on her left shoulder blade in her senior year of high school. So as you can imagine, with her amazing sporting ability, she was offered so many scholarships and she ultimately decided to attend Longwood University on a basketball scholarship and graduated with a degree in physical education in 1996. This university was only about an hour away from her family home, so this was perfect for Amy, seeing as how close she was with her brother and her parents. And as I just said, Amy didn't just stop at basketball. While studying, she joined the swim team, you know, just a woman of many talents. She was so talented. So after she graduated, as a surprise, her parents bought her an English bulldog named Bailey. And they both just loved each other. She fell in love with him as soon as she set her eyes on him. I mean, how there's pictures of him as well, and he is just the cutest little puppy. Absolutely adorable. So in 1997, Amy moved into a new apartment in Chesterfield and worked at a local steakhouse. But just because she was living independently now didn't mean that she strayed from her family. She would see her mum all the time, you know, mother and daughter things, they'd go shopping together... She was just loving life, and the fact that she was still so close to her family just made it even better. 
Amy was planning on starting a new job at a computer consulting firm after she graduated and to celebrate this, Amy decided to join her family on a cruise holiday on the Royal Caribbean International Cruise Ship Rhapsody of the Seas, which was en route for Curacao, which is a Dutch Caribbean island, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, I think it's Curacao, and it was stopping off a few other islands along the way. Apparently though, Amy was a little bit nervous about the cruise, which surprised her parents as, you know, she could swim and she wasn't scared of water as such. However, the deep ocean is what made her feel anxious, which, you know, I can really understand. I mean, I've never been on a cruise, but the idea of getting onto a huge ship and sailing around the middle of nowhere does creep me out a little bit. Like, You can't just get off whenever you want. I mean, sure, you make stops to visit places, but for me, it just panics me. Like, all that's surrounding you is just deep, deep water. And I don't know, I'm the same with planes. The feeling of being trapped in a situation that you can't get out of. You can't just decide to jump off. (laughs) I remember once I flew to Malawi in Africa and the first plane was about eight hours or so, and it was a big plane, there was lots and lots of people, it was very warm, and we got on the tarmac at the first stop, and for some reason we were delayed getting off, and panic just set in, I was so overwhelmed, and I had like the worst panic attack, and ended up being escorted off the plane, which was great, don't get me wrong, because we were on land, But if that plane was still up in the sky, I cannot imagine how much scarier that would have been. So yeah, cruises, I'd like to go on one one day, but for me at the minute, it just freaks me out. So I can really understand how overwhelming this must have been for Amy. It's a new thing, it's a huge ship, it's basically like a mini city just floating across the sea. And this particular ship could hold 765 crew members as well as 2,435 guests. It was a 75,000 ton ship that stood 11 stories high and nearly 1,000 feet long over 100 feet wide. So as you can imagine, it was huge. Lots of random people you're trapped with on a ship. And yeah, I don't suppose you're that crammed because obviously it's it's big, but still very scary. So I can really understand how she might have been feeling. But as the date for the departure of the cruise got closer, this overwhelming anxiety Amy had soon turned to excitement. She dyed her blonde hair brown, she went and got her nails done, and spent three weeks using sunbeds to try and get a nice base tan before her trip. So March 20th was the night before they were due to set sail and Amy and her family sat down for a meal together where she showed off her new look and just kept telling her family how excited she was and how much she was looking forward to it. So on the 21st of March 1998, Amy and her brother departed from Richmond International Airport on a flight to San Juan, connecting through Miami and their parents had actually departed an hour earlier on a different flight and planned to meet up with them at the airport. So the two arrived in San Juan and met up with their parents and Amy decided to write postcards to her friends and bought 15 rolls of film to use while she was on holiday. When the family finally arrived at the dock, Amy turned to her brother and told him that she was already having the time of her life and 
I assume because she was shopping and taking in the views from the park, you know, it's always exciting before you go on holiday, you know, especially like when you get off a plane and the heat just hits you and it's like a new country, new experiences, it's very exciting. So shortly after this, Amy and her family boarded the cruise ship where it set off through the ocean heading towards its first stop which was Oranistad Aruba, so it's in a place called Aruba. So after the ship set sail, the family took this time to relax for the next two days and just get used to their new surroundings, their new home for the next week or so. They sat by the pool, they had some food together, just living it up really, you know, taking in the views. However, that whole time, Amy refused to go anywhere near the edge of the boat. In fact, her brother called her over to look over the side of the boat but she told him no as she was afraid of heights. On the morning of March 23rd the ship finally arrived in Aruba and the Bradleys were ready and looking forward to another day in paradise and took the time to get a great family photo before they left the ship. Whilst off the ship they hired a jeep did some sightseeing, went to some shops, a quick beach visit and some lunch before the family finally returned to the ship. Once they were back on the ship, they changed into their formal clothes and headed down for dinner where they had their picture taken by the ship's photographer whilst they waited in line to be seated. So they all enjoyed a lovely meal together before Amy and her brother returned to their room to change their clothes and grab some money as they were heading to the casino, which seems crazy to me, like a whole ass casino on a ship. Amazing. Anyway, so Ivor and Ron, the parents, stayed back to have some drinks with a business associate, but whilst having these drinks and chatting away, a waiter came up to them and asked Ivor where Amy was. And Iva had noticed that this waiter had been paying a lot of attention to Amy during their time on the cruise. And when she asked why he wanted to know, he said that he and some other crew members wanted to take her out to a bar in Aruba, which seemed a little bit strange to both Iva and Ron, but I guess they just kind of shrugged it off. Iva then went to collect the photos that the photographer had taken before their dinner, But while she was looking through them, she noticed something a little bit strange. So all the photos of Amy were missing, just gone. So obviously she asked the photographer, like, where are the photos of my daughter? But he said that he was sure he displayed the photos with other photos he'd taken. So that is a little bit weird. Like, all of the photos of her were just gone. At this time, Amy and Brad had finished at the casino and met up with their parents on the pool deck. Ivor told Amy about the waiter asking for her and Amy just looked at her mum and was like, they're creepy, like I'm not going anywhere with them. So there was obviously something a little bit weird going on, she didn't exactly feel comfortable. So the family got some drinks in and had a dance on the deck as the cruise ship's band, the Blue Orchids, was playing. And they were all just really enjoying themselves, having a fun, carefree night. And at one point, Brad was actually dancing with a woman until her husband grabbed him and told him off. So Brad apologised to the man, said it was a misunderstanding and didn't realise that this woman was married, which is a little bit awkward. (laughs) 
So this band, the Blue Orchid, actually boarded in Aruba. They had been hired to come and play on board with a dance group. And the ship had also hired a videographer, Chris Fennick, to create a promotional video using different clips taken from the cruise. So as you can imagine, he was here, there and everywhere, taking various different shots, including some of the performance. So during this evening, Amy was seen chatting with members of this band, but more specifically the bass player, Alistair Douglas, or also known as Yellow. And Iva thought that he kind of looked like trouble to her, like there was something about him she just wasn't sure about. And Iva later said that Amy had told Brad that the bass player was hitting on her and was, quote, a real jerk, end quote. At around 1am, the ship took off for their next destination, Curacao, and Ron and Iva were knackered and just told Amy and Brad that they were going to bed. They were very tired, so they said their goodnights and went back to their room. And also, just one thing to add, around this same time, Brad said that he saw Amy talking to two women who he believed were part of the Church of Scientology, but police did look into this and this claim, but couldn't find any evidence of this, but just thought I'd mention it. So Amy and Brad decided they wanted to stay out longer and party the night away, so they walked to the Viking Lounge, which was the dance club on the ship. Again, baffles me. Um, So like I mentioned, Chris, the videographer, was shooting some video in the club at this time and in multiple of these videos you can see Amy dancing with none other than Yellow. And you can actually find these videos online and if you look in the first one you can see them both dancing facing each other and in the second video Amy's dancing by a lift behind the crowd of people And in the third and fourth video, Amy and Yellow are seen dancing again, but much closer together. Looks a little more intimate, I think maybe holding hands. So Yellow claims that Amy had parted ways at around 1am, which I don't really get because they went at 1am, but this is just what I've read. And he said that he headed towards the staff lift and didn't see what direction Amy went. So at around 2.45, Ron awoke and said that Amy and Brad weren't back to the rooms yet. So he went to the dance club to look for them and he found Brad on the first floor dancing with a group of women and he also saw Amy on the second floor in conversation with some of the band members and the club's DJ. So with his mind at ease that they were both okay, he felt comfortable enough to return to the room and go back to sleep, just assuming that they wouldn't be too much longer. At 3.35 in the morning, the ship's electronic lock system had records of Brad entering the room, followed by Amy five minutes later. The two took some time to relax after a busy night dancing, and they sat out on the deck whilst talking and having a smoke, and Amy had actually mentioned that she wanted to purchase some more cigarettes in Curico. So... Ron woke up for a second time and got up to ask Amy to turn the bathroom light off and shortly after this Brad said his good nights and took himself to bed and Amy said she was going to stay out on the balcony for a little bit longer for some fresh air as she felt like she had a little bit of motion sickness. So at 5.30am Ron awoke again and saw Amy's legs in the balcony lounge chair 
So he kind of assumed that she must have been tired and fallen asleep out there, so he decided to go back to bed. And around this time, the ship began to dock at Curacao. Half an hour later, at six o'clock, Ron got up and this time he saw that Amy was gone and the balcony door was halfway open. He did note that her cigarettes and lighter were missing and that the shirt she had been wearing that night was laid out inside the room. And it also appeared that Amy had taken off her shorts and changed into a pair of jeans. Another note is that all the shoes that Amy had brought with her were still in the room, which would mean that wherever Amy was, she had to be barefoot. So this whole situation just seemed a little bit weird to Ron, as Amy would never leave or go anywhere without telling her parents or her brother. It was just really out of character for Amy. So obviously he was worried about her, but he assumed that she must be up on the deck taking pictures or chilling or something. So he went up and tried to find her, and he searched and searched, but Amy was nowhere to be seen. Two college students actually reported seeing Yellow and Amy riding up the glass lift to the club at around 6am, and the students then claimed that they saw Yellow leaving the club without her 15 minutes later. Another witness claimed they saw Yellow buy Amy a dark-coloured drink around this same time. So, at this point, Ron is just panicking. You know, he's trying to stay calm and continues to try and look for her, but after a while with no sign of her, he decided to return back to the room at 7 o'clock where he'd have to tell Ivor and Brad that Amy was missing. Ron and Ivor immediately went to the office of the head administrator where they reported Amy missing and that they had suspicion that some sort of foul play was involved and they were begging at this point for them to help, you know, begging them to have an announcement over the speakers but the staff just refused, which I really don't understand. I mean, surely an announcement would be the first thing you'd do. You know, that way everybody is on the lookout or if they have any information, they could come forward. But the staff said it was too early to disturb the other guests, but they kept at it, begging and begging. And eventually, at 7.50am, a staff member used the speaker system, asking Amy Bradley to return to the front desk. So they didn't actually say that she was missing, I don't think. It was more of like, can Amy Bradley please come to the front desk? Um... You know, it it wasn't really the kind of... They didn't seem worried. Like, the staff didn't really seem to be taking it that seriously. At the same time, the ship's crew were getting ready to let guests off the ship and into Curacao, which Ron and Ivor were again begging staff not to let the guests off. And, you know, rightly so. If you've got a missing person on that boat, you would want to keep everybody on it. You know, if somebody had kidnapped Amy or hurt her in any way, this would have been the perfect opportunity for this person to sneak Amy off the boat before thoroughly searching the boat for her. But still, the the crew refused. And another point which really baffles me is that at this point in time, the Royal Caribbean didn't keep or take any records of guests leaving the ship, only when they got back on, which... I think now they've got to have records who leaves the ship, but if this was put in place at the time of this case, then 
it absolutely could have prevented all of this from happening. So from what I've read and listened to, there just didn't seem to be a huge amount of communication between staff. I don't think the staff were told like, oh yeah, by the way, keep an eye out for this woman, XYZ. You know, there just didn't seem to be any urgency at all with regards to the staff. Meanwhile, Brad returned to the pool deck to see if he could spot Amy walking past and he claimed that Yellow had come up to him and apologised about the fact that Amy was missing, which was strange and that he felt really guilty and even stranger, you know, that he just randomly came up and Brad thought it was too. You know, how would Yellow even know, especially when not even all the staff know? So that definitely raised some huge red flags. And it actually reminds me of when a girl in high school stole my phone out of my bag. And I only found out because she came up to me and was like, oh my God, I heard about your phone. That's so crazy. And I was like, sorry, (laughs) what are you on about? Like, I didn't even know yet. It was my phone and I didn't even know that it had gone, but she did. You know, it's almost as if they do it to seem less guilty, but In fact, it just has the complete opposite effect. So yeah, somehow Yellow knew, and we're not entirely sure how he did, but it all seems a little bit strange. Staff told the family to go back to their room to wait for the chief security officer, Lou Castello, and once he arrived, he asked some questions about Amy and requested to see a picture of her. Brad claims that Lou smelt like bourbon, which... I mean, tops it off really, doesn't it? Uncooperative staff and now a drunk security officer. I mean, obviously we don't know that for certain, but, you know, not brilliant. So for about 45 minutes, 12.15 to 1pm, security did a search of the common areas and crew areas for Amy, but they, for some reason, didn't search any of the guest rooms and some other areas of the boat, which seems crazy to me. I mean, yeah, I get that the guest rooms with personal belongings in there, whatever, but there is literally a missing woman, a missing person. You know, you would hope that they would search every single inch of that ship. And also not to mention that if someone had her Amy or was hiding her, where would the most likely place be? Obviously a room, not a public or communal area, like seriously. So after they did this, um, they returned to the family and were like, well, we did a thorough search of the whole entire ship and we still can't find her. Ron and Ivor were obviously not satisfied and they asked again for an announcement that she was in fact missing, you know, not like before when they just asked Amy to return. They also requested flyers to be handed out across the ship, but the captain said no because he didn't want to upset the guests. I mean, like, priorities, come on. He would rather keep the guests happy than find a family's missing daughter. I don't get it. So the captain spoke with the family and was like, you know, I think Amy is in Curacao. I think you need to get off the ship and just go and look for her yourselves. Like, how frustrated and angry would you actually be? They are already so fed up of the staff and the crew on that ship. 
So at 5.30pm, though, they did decide to get off the ship and have a look around for Amy, and they were joined by Mike McCard, who was the president of Ron's company, and he was actually so generous and paid for a hotel room in Curacao for the family to stay in. So just an hour later, the ship departed from Curacao and continued on its journey, leaving behind the Bradley family to search for Amy. And I can't even imagine how they must have been feeling. You know, this is a dream holiday everybody was so excited for, and that had just turned into their worst nightmare. You know, especially in a foreign country as well, must have made it even scarier. You don't know the people there, you don't know the area. You know, I wouldn't even know where to begin. On March 25th at 6am, the authorities in Curacao started air and sea searches in an attempt to locate Amy. At this point, she had been missing 24 hours. They used radar planes, helicopters, cargo ships, fishing boats, anything you could even imagine to try and help in this search. Which is amazing if you think about it. Straight away, they were on it, trying their best. You know, it's bit of a shame that the same couldn't be said for the cruise ship. So the Bradley family decided to get in contact with the FBI and flew to St Martin which was actually the cruiser's next stop. So at 7.30am on March 26th they boarded the ship and demanded to speak to the captain. There was a little bit of an issue though. I mean well, well not an issue but basically Because the ship was in international waters, the FBI had to ask the Royal Caribbean's permission for the FBI to come on board, which thankfully they did allow two agents on board along with search dogs, but they could have flat out just been like, no, we don't want them to come on, that's it. You know, so thank God they did let them on. So eventually the FBI agents get the ball moving, get the staff to start handing out flyers and basically alert them that Amy was a missing woman and she had been for over 24 hours. You know, this is something that should have happened straight away. Not all this time later, it should have happened as soon as they were alerted. So on March 27th, the Bradley family left the ship in St Thomas and the next day the ship returned to San Juan and the Bradleys flew back to their home in Richmond, Virginia, but without Amy. Two days later, on March 29th, Curacao authorities ended their search that they'd been conducting and stated that they hadn't found anything in regards to Amy's case. A month later, her parents posted a heartbreaking plea for Amy's return on their website. It said, quote, Please let Amy go. Blindfold her and leave her somewhere safe at night, unharmed. She doesn't know who you are and only wants to be with her family in her own country. We will ask no questions. You will remain unknown. Please let Amy go. End quote. I mean... This poor family, just so desperate to find their daughter, just hoping and praying that whoever has her sees it and hopefully lets her go. A month after this, the family went back to Curacao to continue the search and they met a taxi driver who told them that the day Amy went missing, she approached his taxi, looking quite upset, and asked him where she could find a phone. The taxi driver left after pointing her in the direction of the nearest payphone, but whilst they were searching down every street, 
Brad said that he had heard Amy's voice yelling his name and he said that he was 100% certain on this and said it sounded like it was coming from a car. So the family searched where he had said it had come from but they found nothing which must have been pretty devastating. You know whether or not he actually heard Amy I don't know because I mean when you're searching for a person your mind is con- you know consciously looking and listening for anything that could help find them. So I can't say 100% but what I will say is that that just must have been so stressful and so confusing for Brad. You know and frustrating thinking you can hear your sister calling for you but just not being able to find it anywhere. It sounds like something out of a nightmare. Honestly, I just cannot even imagine. After searching everywhere they could in great depth, Ron and Brad decided to leave and on the day they were meant to be flying home, they got a call from Ivor, who told them that investigators in Curacao had found a body of a woman with brown hair who they believed to be Amy. Like, your heart would just sink. Like, imagine just, I couldn't even imagine getting a call like that. However, it turns out that they hadn't actually found that at all. Instead, they had found a few pieces of bone that belonged to a man. Nothing like they had originally said, which, you know, it just would have been awful. I mean, what a mindfuck that would have been. You know, being told that your daughter's body might have been found, all that emotion of processing that and coming to terms with it and then just finding out it's not true how awful but I guess this meant that there still was a small glimmer of hope you know a small chance that Amy might still be out there they did however get a rather interesting tip from a Canadian tourist called David Carmichael who had visited a beach in Curacao And this man claims that whilst at the beach, he saw Amy with his own eyes on the beach with two aggressive men. He said that he believes Amy heard him speaking English and that's when she started to quickly walk towards him until one of the men noticed and glared at her, you know, almost like a warning. And before, you know, he did this before taking her away to a nearby cafe. So David went to the cafe and saw Amy and noticed her looking over at him multiple times But after a few drinks, Amy then left with these two men. Now, obviously we can't be 100% that this was Amy, but so far this is the most credible lead investigators have. At the time David witnessed this, he didn't really think too much of it. He didn't think that it was significant, so he didn't report it. However, one day he was watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and saw Amy on the episode and recognised her face immediately, especially her tattoos, after he reported what he saw and got in touch with the family. He actually flew out to Richmond multiple times to talk with the family. Then, in 1999, a former Navy officer reported seeing Amy in a brothel in Curacao. And at first he didn't report it, I mean, probably because he maybe wasn't meant to be there but once he'd heard about the case he felt like it really was her that he had seen. He stated that the woman came up to him in the brothel and told him that she really needed help and you know he told her that there was a navy ship nearby and they would help but she explained to him that she wasn't allowed to leave 
and this woman cried and begged at him to help, but unfortunately, he just left the brothel and didn't report it until this time. So at this point, the Bradley family felt like the case was going nowhere, you know, the FBI weren't doing enough in their eyes, so they started to fundraise for money for, you know, private soldiers or, you know, likewise people, to bring Amy home in 1999, and later that year, an email popped up from a man named Frank Jones. Now, Frank Jones claimed to be a Navy SEAL, and that Um, a chef from Curacao had identified Amy from her tattoos and even heard her singing a lullaby that Iva taught her as a child. Frank also claimed that this woman told him that Amy was being held in a compound full of trafficked women which was guarded by like an army of Colombian men. He also said that he had sent down men, sent men down there sorry, to see if you know, they could find her, and over the span of several months, Frank gave the family updates on Amy and claimed he would be sending more men to go and rescue her. So the Bradley family frequently sent money to this Frank guy to fund this search, and, you know, not like a tenner or like a hundred pounds, I mean like hundreds and thousands of dollars were sent to this man, They really did have a strong feeling about this and they threw their heart, soul and, well, money into this. They trusted this guy that they didn't even know, but this story that Frank is telling seems like it could be legit. You know, unfortunately, situations like this do happen, so it's not such a far stretch. You know, the Bradleys were willing to do anything, anything it took to bring Amy home. He then told them that it was time for him to go down himself and rescue Amy, which I guess the family were happy about. They were glad he was going to see her, and they asked that whilst he was there, could he take a picture of Amy to prove that she was still alive? And Frank did in fact provide them with this. He told them that he needed more money to go through with the rescue operation, which they did comply to. They sent him the money and flew down to Florida on Frank's instructions. So the photo he sent them, I mean, the family couldn't exactly tell if it was Amy or not. It was quite hard to see, but even still, it did give them some sort of hope. So after waiting a week to hear back, the family got a phone call from a former army sniper named Tim, who Frank had hired to watch the house in Curacao, and, you know, Frank had told both Tim and the Bradley family that this was the house that Amy was being held in. So after days of staking this house, Tim very quickly realised that Amy definitely wasn't in that house and it turns out Frank had been scamming the Bradley family. But you know, what about the chef that had all that information? You know, that, well, (laughs) she'd actually been paid by Frank to go along with this lie and another person who was helping Frank admitted that he helped stage the photo that Frank had shown the Bradleys. It turns out it was just a random woman they found and they'd stenciled on her tattoos and made her pose whilst one of the men stood over her pretending to be her captor, which is just fucking awful. That is, like, how bad of a person must you be to take advantage of a family like that? 
it's just, I cannot believe there's people out there that think that's okay. So obviously, the Bradley family were absolutely heartbroken, as you can imagine, but it wasn't just the fact they had trusted this guy and sent him so much money. It was really the fact that they had wasted so much time time that they could have been searching properly for Amy, you know, time in situations like this is just so important and they would never be able to get that time back. Frank Jones did in fact end up getting charged for defrauding the family for $24,000 and again for $186,000 from the missing children's organisation. He was ordered to pay the Bradley family back, but according to Brad, this just didn't happen. They never received any money from Frank. So in 2005 now, a witness in Barbados claimed to have seen a woman matching Amy's description in a department store bathroom with three men. She stated that the men were telling this woman that she needed to go through with a deal and threatened her before leaving the bathroom. The witness walked up to the visibly upset woman who said that her name was Amy and she was from Virginia. The men then came back into the bathroom and dragged Amy out. The FBI released three sketches of the men and woman that were seen, but ultimately I don't think anything came from that. Also in 2005, the family received an email containing a picture of a woman who looked a lot like Amy. The sender worked with an organisation that checked the photos of women posted on escort sites to try and match them with active missing persons cases. And the woman in the photo was referred to as Jazz and appeared to be a sex worker somewhere in the Caribbean. The FBI hasn't been able to locate the woman in this photo, but a forensic analysis have kind of said that it probably might be Amy and you know I've seen this picture you can google it you can look at it too and I must say it does look a a lot like Amy I mean to me anyway you know I've seen side by side pictures comparing the two and even down to her earrings you know her ears her jaw it really does like it does look like Amy just with grown out hair so you know that's kind of where we're up to at the minute so it just kind of leaves us with a few different theories. I mean, Amy's family definitely believe that she did not leave that ship by herself, you know, or by her own accord. You know, most theories surrounding this case do involve foul play. But one theory is that perhaps she went overboard and drowned. So this drowning theory claims that Amy went overboard between 5.30 and 6am on March 24th. You know, whether it be accidentally or purposefully, you know, as Amy had been drinking that night and she said she was feeling a bit sick, some believe that this might have played a role in her drowning. But the Bradleys really don't agree with this. You know, they say Amy was very happy with her life, especially at this moment in time. She was not at all suicidal and, you know, she was a really strong swimmer. She probably would have swum to shore like it wasn't that far at all and investigators support this as well they do not believe she went overboard they also said she probably swam but there was also no witnesses seeing anybody fall into the waters and since they were so close to shore even if she did 
her body would have been found during the searches. You know, they did search the waterline and the water thoroughly, so if this was the case, she would have been found and recovered. Also, not to forget that Amy wouldn't even go near the edge of the boat because she was so scared. So, it's very, very unlikely that this is what happened. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. She also had changed her clothes, grabbed her cigarettes, her ID and money. So, if she was planning to jump, then why would she have done that? But, you know, this leads us to foul play, obviously, which is the most likely scenario. So, let's just take a little look into the kidnapping theory. So the family strongly believes that Amy's disappearance was foul play, and probably from one of the ship's crew members. They think she was most likely taken off the boat into Curacao and forced into sex trafficking. And, you know, of course, the first suspect that comes to mind is Yellow. He was seen multiple times with her that night, and it seems that he probably was involved. So when the Royal Caribbean did their search on Yellow and the other band members' rooms around 8am that morning she went missing, they didn't find anything of interest. There was no compelling evidence found. And Yellow was also questioned by the FBI and apparently, according to Ron, he left the room and gave his bandmates a thumbs up and a smile. You know, Ron said it took everything in him not to go up and just absolutely batter this guy like how weird and evil does that sound it's almost as if he's come out like yeah guys I got away with it you know no stress oh it sends shivers honestly yellow was also given a polygraph test which he did pass but it's important to note that he did take this polygraph test before they received chris's videotapes showing him and amy dancing that night Also, a little weird side note about Yellow is that when the Bradleys were home, they went online and saw a user's message on a message board for cruise ship passengers, actually warning women to stay away from Yellow. And Ron also claimed that other guests told him that Yellow was a womanizer and had tried to force himself onto women before. You know, remember, Amy herself said that he was a real jerk, plus you can't forget that weird comment he made to Brad the morning she went missing. You know, he already knew. At that point, the only people who knew were Amy, her family, and the front desk. So the Bradleys believe that the Royal Caribbean really messed up with their investigation from the beginning, and they ended up suing them. You know, most obviously because of how they handled it right at the beginning when she was first reported missing. You know, the crew refused to take action or, you know, make announcements, pass flyers around. And the worst one by far is letting the guests off the boat. They were wasting time that could have been the difference between finding Amy and not finding Amy. The family were obviously angry and rightly so. You know, ultimately, the searches made, you know, on board were rushed. They were not properly formed and they were incomplete. They had also asked staff at the time to have security guards standing to watch people as they left the ship to see if they could spot Amy, but, you know, you guessed it, they didn't do that either. And lastly, the fact that the Royal Caribbean had lied about searching every nook and cranny when they so obviously hadn't. 
Royal Caribbean has denied that they botched the search or committed any wrongdoings. And apparently, Royal Caribbean has also been accused of spreading false rumours that Amy's parents had something to do with her disappearance. Chris, the videographer, said that whilst he was still on the ship, he gave a copy of Yellow and Amy Dancing to Mike McCard, remember, the president of Ron's company, who was really good friends with the family and assisted them with the search for Amy, and Mike ended up giving the tape over to the FBI. Chris also said that Lou, the chief of security, called him the very same day and insisted he give over the original tape. But Chris refused and said he would give it to the FBI, but, you know, Chris never heard from Lou or the FBI ever again. Unfortunately, sexual assault is one of the most commonly reported violent crimes on cruise ships. The Cruise Vessel Security and Safety Act became law in 2010, mandating stricter security and reporting requirements on cruise ships. However, in 1998, crime on cruise ships wasn't handled nearly as well as it is today. You know, international waters and multiple stops in different countries means that cruise ships weren't bound to specific countries' laws. Also, the only police force on these ships are security that the cruise ship companies hire, and these companies are nearly always in foreign countries with ships registered outside the US often countries like Liberia or the Bahamas. There was also a report published in 1998 that found many cruise ships were involved in a pattern of cover-ups in response to reports of crime on board. And, you know, unfortunately, it's quite common for people to go missing on cruise ships, which I guess you wouldn't automatically think as it's literally a ship in the ocean, but it's known that they're just always handled really poorly. This report also claims that one cruise liner's former security chief stated that there was some sort of unwritten rule that nobody, including the FBI, were able to be notified in the event of a crime. Instead, victims were able to be bribed or, you know, given like room upgrades until the legal department could take over. And then the victims would just be intimidated by company lawyers and threats of legal action. So basically, the way I'm seeing it is that if the Bradleys hadn't taken this situation into their own hands, the probability that the Royal Caribbean would have actually helped them is next to none, you know, or they would have waited to contact authorities, you know, when they got back, you know, before the investigation already started. It would have been far too late by then. I really don't think they would have helped, which is awful to think. In the end, the Bradley family sued the Royal Caribbean for negligence and sought $5 million in damages, but after a nasty legal battle with them, the family sadly lost the case. The family also believes the FBI failed the case, especially when it came down to interviewing potential witnesses, which I do agree with. I think there's a lot more that they probably could have done. So on March 24th, 2010, 12 years after Amy disappeared, Amy was legally declared dead. Of course, nobody knows if she, you know, actually is dead, but the family still hangs on to hope. 
In 2017, the FBI released an age-progressed photo of Amy and a short video description of her case. Their family tries to hang on to hope and Iva wears a yellow ribbon and a tiny gold angel in honour of Amy every day. Her family has also encouraged people in their neighbourhood to display these yellow ribbons. The family is offering $25,000 for any information that will lead them to Amy and, you know, as of 2020, Amy Lynn Bradley is still missing and her case remains unsolved. Unfortunately, that does conclude today's case. If you have any information concerning the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. I know it's been a bit of a long one today, but I do hope you have enjoyed and I hope to have you back for the next episode. Don't forget to click follow to be notified when a new episode is posted. But in the meantime, if you are still craving some more true crime, then you can head over to the Primed for Crime TikTok, where I post small snippets of cases daily. It's nice to interact with you all, see what cases you like in, what you're not. And obviously, any recommendations you may have for a case, I'm always willing to look at. So yeah, that's all from me and I will see you next week. See you later.